Tired of ads interrupting your gripping investigations? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Ads shouldn't be the scariest thing about true crime. Start listening by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash true crime ad free. That's amazon.com slash true crime ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to Crimeland. My name's Julie J. And this week, I'm talking to the truly hilarious... Simon O'Keefe. About the disappearance of Cheryl Shepherd. Do you know what? I don't know what it is, Simon, but even just the way you said your name there, I'm already laughing. I don't know what it is about you that I find so funny. <laughs> you really make me laugh, Simon. I think it's just because I'm a slightly scroofy person. Like I'm I'm kind of like like I'm like I'm like a dog with like a floppy ear or something. Like there's it's it's like I'm not the I think the imperfection is what is what brings is what brings the comedy. Oh, geez, don't talk about floppy ears. I called into my auntie to digress momentarily. I called into my auntie today who has so many cats, she doesn't know how many cats she has. That's when you know you have too many cats, Simon. I think we'd all agree. And like the cat was there and the cat has no tail, has one eye, no tail. And then I noticed an ear is now missing. And it turns out that the cat has, I was informed that the cat had skin cancer of the ear. So now the ear is gone. So the cat has no tail, no right eye, and now has no left ear. I'm just like, I can't. And the cat's name is Stormzy. So I was like, why did you? Yeah, I, but I said, this is, this is the most random part. I was like, why is the cat's name Stormzy, by the way? Like, you've no interest in rap. <laughs> My auntie said, so aunt, good old auntie Jer, I said, why, you've no interest in rap. And she was like, what are you talking about rap? And I said, he, Stormzy is a rapper. And she was like, what's a rapper? So we went around in circles all day. It's like, he's Stormzy is a rapper. It's like a singer. Anyway, she said the vet suggested the name for the cat. So I just think even the vet is taking the piss at this stage. Stormzy the cat. Like what? If there's no correlation. No, but what, what always gets gets me with like because I I was like adopting a dog again this summer. I mean, you're looking at all the rescue places for animals. It's very clear that they just use the one set of names that they circle over and over I again. Know. 
and, oh my god it cracks me up because but, I'd always be perusing it and you're like I oh, know there's I've definitely seen a buddy before but but yeah, yeah and there's certain ones you know so it's like our Max or Charlie but there, there's certain places as well where they always like name all the dogs after drinks you know which is and and it makes you kind of question like you know Bailey's Guinness yeah you see you see you see that one as well um, or whiskey no why this popped into my head was Whiskey's the one you see all the time and there's an Australian fella that lives on my road and it, it, like he just left a dog called Whiskey you know be called, called Whiskey um, see, it's, see he sticks my head because the, the guy's name is Sam and, and but he is the type of dog that my auntie used to have but my auntie's dog was called Sam but anyway but this Aussie guy the wow. dog's name but if you didn't know that this guy was you know the Aussie neighbour and dog called Whiskey because like you're just lying awake in the morning and you just hear this Australian guy walking down the road just going and was like whiskey come here whiskey oh you're my best friend whiskey oh i love you whiskey <laughs> so you just think this guy is a raving alcoholic yeah like you, you wouldn't know whether he, whether he has a dog or is just australian well I, you know <laughs> that's when australia switches off australia we love you we actually have a lot of listeners in australia so hello australia it's all nothing's been spirited Please stay and listen to the podcast. Yeah, we, um, we wouldn't want to impugn the dignity of any country where they had to send, you know, round up all the prostitutes in England to bulk out its population several years ago. Let's face it, the history isn't good. Okay, but they're, you know, they're good people, but the history is checkered. I think we'd all agree. Um, but yeah, it's I, I, do, I do find that so funny. Actually, just you saying that story, it did remind me a little bit of during the summer I called to see another auntie of mine who had American neighbours next door to her because obviously like it's a kind of a holiday home area, West Kerry. So she said that she had anyway this neighbour, um, he comes every few weeks, but there's this horrible cat that kept coming in to attack her cat into the garden. So one day anyway, um, Rita went out into the back garden and was like, come here, you dirty bastard, till I shoot you. Because <laughs> she had a water gun. So she was like, I'm going to get rid of this cat from once and for all. So she turned and instead of the cat, there was standing her American neighbour. So I just think he really got the wrong end of the stick there. Come here, you dirty <laughs> bastard, till I shoot you. And she's armed with a water gun. Like, so confused. I, I had something like that with an, with an Indian family in the Phoenix Park. Because you, you do you know the whole, like, red grey squirrel thing? No. What's that about? Uh, it's Okay, like, the red squirrels are native to Ireland. It's like... Gra- oh. Yes, yes. Grey squirrels were like imported from America, I think. Uh, But they, because they were getting the food sources, they they were like depopulating the native red squirrels and the grey squirrels are much more destructive for the trees we have here. Like they're really, like they're invasive species, really bad for the environment. The good news is like the red squirrels are making a comeback. But you see, like whenever, (laughs) there was one day in the Phoenix Park, it's like, like my my dog was like, just kind of like growling at a grey squirrel. (laughs) Yeah. And I just, I just said to the squirrels, it's it's like, oh yeah, it's like, like fuck off out of here, you dirty foreign bastard! <laughs> and they looked oh, up. Oh no! <laughs> and there was this like family, obviously on holidays. to see, <laughs> I'm trying to go. So it's like, and it's not a good defense ever. Say, it's like, oh no, I wasn't talking to you. I was talking to a woodland creature. <laughs> talking to you I swear I was talking to the squirrel like that makes so much sense because you would never take that as the truth no because yeah it's it, in a way the only way it's a good you defense just take that as a very poor cover yeah or they kind of think well this guy's clearly clearly you know like a psychopath Deranged. let's leave him alone 
That's so funny. Oh my God, that is gas. I, you know, I will say actually speaking, uh, speaking of that topic, I like when there's kind of a very tenuous link to a guest. So for example, I had Stephen Mullen in when I was discussing El Chapo and then he tried to inform me that he was half Argentinian, which is like a totally different thing um, from Colombia. He was like, it's not really. So I was like, come on, come on, just give it a go. So he was very offended by that tenuous link. But your tenuous link, can no, you guess so, what so it before, is? Before you go, I have to tell you a funny story. Basically. Oh, sorry, go. Yeah, no, of course. Stephen lives five doors up from me. But I, I said to him the other day, because he's got his like COVID hair at the moment. And I said, it's like, oh, the longer your hair gets, the more you see the South American part of you. And and he and he said and he says like and he says yeah I can tell when I start to look more South American, uh, he said because like somebody threw a bottle at me the other day and told me to go back to Brazil, <laughs> and, he, and he's like yeah I know he, he said he said some, someone threw a bottle at me and, and like and, and, and called call me a dirty foreigner, and like like that is so Dublin and Stephen's from Cork like that's where he was born and raised so like he was saying it's like well at least they're finally recognizing Cork as the independent country that it is that is so funny he's a, and dare I say it Stephen that's material yeah that is that's gas did he really have somebody throw a bottle at him yeah oh my god that's awful so, like I ran into him about about an hour or two uh, you know like after, after it happened yeah that is de- do you know well look hopefully it didn't happen in Dublin 7 because that is my dream neighbourhood that's where I'm hoping to move one day oh, oh that's 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 where that's where it did happen and speaking of Dublin 7 and you know dream neighbourhood I was you know, I wasn't, there was like no blows exchanged, but I was in like a fight today in, in Lidl. And like Ireland and I think town and Dublin, it's the only place where like a like a drunk teenager at three o'clock is something you have to contend with, you know, let let alone while you're, while you're doing the shopping. And I think what pains me as a comedian is little jokes are so hacked. Like just, they're just like, like oh, Lidl's funny. You go in there like to, to, to buy, you know, buy a loaf of bread and you come out with a canoe. Uh, but you know but what was the middle middle aisle classic honestly i mean can we just park that as a as a thing but in this is obviously the exception yeah but what happened to me was though it's like this guy's like it's like some guy the guy was drunk and then he's like standing literally in you know in my pocket you know as i'm trying to pay and i just said to him you know it's just like is there a reason you're standing on top of me then he takes up and he starts going oh you steady you know just like all this and i'm just kind of going yeah and he goes oh, i back you know it's like all right you know right what are you going to do it's like come on what are you what are you actually going to do about this and all this is going on and i just kind of thought you know, it's just like, it's like, you know, it's like, do I really want to be arrested? And when they're going through all my possessions, you know, when I'm being, being like booked in the, in the Garda station, I just kind of go, it's just, it's, like, it's like, okay, you've got a Philips steam iron and a packet and a packet of macaroons. <laughs> like, that is so funny, Simon. Yeah, but it's it's like a, it's a, such a such a such a, li- a little a little hacky thing, you know. And I'm I'm just kind of going, it's like like I you know I, I, yeah yeah it's it's like hashtag only in little. I mean that child as well, that teenager. Like what? Can we just come back to him for a moment? Yeah. Why wasn't he in school? <sighs> Sorry, I mean clearly clearly he has bigger fish to fry. Don't get me wrong, but like. Yeah, I mean, the, you should have like, been in school, love. Yeah, well, let's say the guy's like, oh, say sixteen, seventeen. I mean, may, maybe he's a he's a little bit older. I, have you guessed what the tenuous link to this case is? So this um, poor she- woman, it's she- she- oh, Shepherd is. I'm guess I'm guessing it's the tenuous link. You're so clever, and of course, Shepherd. Do we want to explain why that's the link? 
um, is I chase a lot of sheep around the place. Well, there is that, but also the more obvious one, your little doggy. Uh, yeah, oh, shit, we've we've got we've got two. It's like it's it's like because I've long hair and a beard. People will always make Jesus jokes about me. So you've got like you know you've got you've got the shepherd thing. We've got two shepherd angles. Oh, that's true. Actually, I never thought of that one. That is, I mean, it's a bit more tangential. I mean, the one I was thinking was that you have a German shepherd. Yeah, she she is currently um, passed out. She's ninety percent on her on her bed. Cheryl Shepherd was born in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada on the 29th of September 1968. Hamilton, so let me tell you a bit about Hamilton. Julie, do you you want to know something scary? Oh no. Have you been to Hamilton? No, but I know all about it. What? Yeah. Because it's... um, (laughs) <laughs> it is because my previous dog was called Alberta because her mother used to no. work. It was used to work. It used to live in Canada for years, and it's it, uh, actually we'll, we'll do your Hamilton stuff, and I'll, I'll just come in with the one funny thing I know about Hamilton at the end of it. Yeah. Okay. So Hamilton. So basically, about Hamilton, uh, it's kind of. I mean, it's a smallish city. It's got about half a million people living there. In terms of crime, it did rank first in Canada for police reported hate crimes in 2016, which isn't good. And it does have um, an organised crime network as well. So you've got three certified mafia organisations in Hamilton. It's a port city in the province of Ontario, and it's very kind of industrial, and it's on uh, it's located on Lake Ontario. And as I said, it has a population of about half a million. So you have a story about Hamilton. But no, well, it's just a tiny little nugget of information. Uh, Hamilton, Ontario, if ever you see a movie that's set in set in somewhere like Detroit or Pittsburgh, they, fee- they film it in Hamilton, Ontario. No. Because, yeah, because it's cheaper. Uh, it has the same post-industrial thing and it looks like even more, more of a kip than... <laughs> Than you know, than Detroit or you know Columbus, Ohio, or, or wherever else that they 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 want to film. That is so interesting. Where did you did you read that somewhere? Um, no, I was, I was told that, but it's it's true because it's like all the stuff came up. Makes a, it makes a lot of sense because it does look you know it does look kind of fairly rough and tough, and it would make sense that it's cheaper to film in Canada. Yeah, but it's it's known as the Hammer. It is known as the hammer, actually. I did read that somewhere. Yeah. Simon, you are on fire today, might I say. It's whenever whenever I do a gig and there's Canadians in and like if if you have to explain whatever, you know, right, I'm from Tala. If I have to explain there's Canadians in, I'll say, oh, Tala, I'll say, oh, Hamilton, Ontario. And anyone from that, you know, it's like Midwest, US or like that Canada region, they go, it's like, okay, now we get you. So that's like the reference point. That makes yeah. so much sense because it, from what I read, it did seem to have like, obviously you've got th- not one, not two, but three different mafia families living there. Considerable crime rate, but a hate crime thrown in for good measure. Like it does, it does sound like quite a tough spot. Cheryl Shepherd, she dropped out of school in 10th grade. Uh, she was a particularly striking looking girl with blonde hair, blue eyes, real extrovert, very, very sweet, had a lot of friends, very down to earth. And she was married twice, first to a guy called Keith Dale, and then she married this guy called Brian Sweeney. Both marriages were really short and her divorce from 
Brian Sweeney finalised shortly before she went missing. But she was very good friends um, with her ex-husbands. Like she got on really well with them, particularly Brian Sweeney. So Cheryl had worked as a, an exotic dancer, as a stripper, but she was employed at Tim Horton's coffee shop at the time for a disappearance. So Cheryl had met this guy called Michael Lavoie, who was an unemployed father of three on a road trip to kind of like an amusement park place. And very soon after they met, he moved in with Cheryl and her mother, Odette Fisher. So Cheryl enjoyed a good relationship with Lavoie's daughters from his previous relationship and often spent time with them while they were visiting their dad. So he had three kids. She got on really well um, with the three kids. She actually couldn't have children herself. So she kind of really enjoyed being a stepmother to these three little girls. To everyone's surprise, Lavoie proposed to Cheryl on a radio and TV broadcast live from the Hamilton Convention Centre during a New Year's Eve party. Lavoie popped the question right as the clock struck midnight, ushering the newly engaged couple into 1998. But what's so weird about this is, is that when you listen to the recording, he's like, will you marry me? And she is ossified. Like they are, forgive me, forgive the pun, they're hammered. They are mm. hammered. Like they're so pissed. And they hadn't been getting on well previous to this. So everyone was quite surprised. But he asks her, and there's such a long pause, she actually doesn't speak at all. And then the host interrupts and says, So is it a yes? I think it's a yes, just to kind of hurry it along. But she never actually does the whole like yes thing. It's just then everyone claps and suddenly she's engaged. But it's like he's doing straight away two sketchy things for me there. It's like one, you know, okay, you might have a different opinion on this being a woman, but I think proposing and or getting married on, you know, be it Christmas Day, Valentine's Day, New Year's Eve, I don't trust that because I think that's the guy's way of saying I didn't get her anything else or this way I <laughs> this way I won't forget the date. So like, I'm very suspicious of that. And also public proposals Oh, I hate pub- them. Yeah. Because I, I think it's 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 a kind of peer pressure, you know, where you know Yes, like, very like, true. You're like you're trying to see them. And like even then it's oh, for one thing that restored my faith in humanity, there was some viral photo from whatever in pre pre COVID where this guy, his like his girlfriend was running a marathon and um like he stopped her at, I saw and he this. stopped her at mile sixteen to propose. What and, a prick. Uh, yeah, every single woman comes just kinda of goes, it's like, oh wow, you ruined her marathon for her now. You could have waited at the finish line, but you wanted all the attention and you wanted your photo to go everywhere. It's you know, it's you like why couldn't you have waited till she finished? So selfish, honestly. Where was that again? Was that England? Or oh, the it, was, oh it was definitely the States. Okay, it would have to be, wouldn't it? I mean, but imagine, like, that is so fucking selfish. All the training she put in for that. I thought the same thing. And I do think, I totally agree about the public proposals. Should you remember your man who crashed the stage at the Rose of Tralee and asked that poor girl to marry him? And she's literally saying, no, no, don't do this, no. And then Ye, of course, you know, thinking outside the box, they then had a reality show following them. And it was so clear that this woman did, did not want to be married. Yeah, they did it once off. Where are they now? And I tell you where they are. They're believing in God and hoping, probably, hoping they find some way to get out of this marriage. Probably, probably through death. But like, they're just, it's, it's the... It, the whole thing was so uncomfortable to watch. I never actually watched the documentary, but they did do a once off after the fact. 
but it's see there's also this weird things for that got that and, and guys i think are worse for doing this than women are where the relationship even the dogs growling at that they're like 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 the relationship is a like sketchier on the rocks or about to fall apart so they kind of think yes bottle bottle save the relationship is if we escalate it you know it's just yeah. like oh we're it's rowing all the commitment. time let's yeah let you know let's move in or they kind of go oh i'll tell the girl and you're and you're just kind of go it's, it's like that it's it, you know like i think what's the famous one where it's like jerry hall sa- said herself and keith jagger were having another child to try and save their marriage and you're kind of going that's, because that's a good idea yeah like that like like that that was that was what was hold, holding you back that you kind of thought you know you know Mick Jagger, who probably has you know a Genghis Khan level of like illegitimate love children all around the world. You kind of thought you know like that's that's what's going to knit everything together. It's definitely, I think, like I definitely think proposals and kids are often approached as kind of bandages, which they're definitely not because it's just adding more pressure to what is probably already kind of an unhealthy situation. And I do think the public proposals, it's kind of a North American thing. It's not as big over here. No, um, could- I think I think mainly because people would be like, cop yourselves on. Nobody's interested in this. Like we're such a begrudging nation. We don't want to be part of your moment. Yeah, because like we are phobic of notions, and I think that yeah, oh, we don't like be happy, but be happy in your own private space. There's no need to like it's, ram it down our throats. Exactly, keep your happiness to yourselves. That's if you take nothing else from this podcast, that is it. And actually, you're spot on. You're right on the money when it comes to their relationship, Simon, because they didn't. They had a bit of a rocky relationship. Like things were not going well. So I definitely do agree. I think like a public proposal, you're like, oh. Um, and it, they hadn't been getting on for a while. He kept showing up at her work. So he, she worked at this team, Tim Norton's kind of Horton's kind of donut shop, coffee shop. And he would show up and like sit in her workplace for long periods of time. And just her coworkers just found him really creepy. Like it would just freak everyone out. So if she was talking to somebody for ages, he'd cough. And then she kind of move along. So it was all very weird. Okay, I'm, go- then- I'm going to say one thing in defense from on Tim Hortons, and that is Tim Hortons do a kind of legendary thing called uh, Tim Bits, where they're just like little little bits of donuts and you buy bags I just love I absolutely love donuts so much I love Tim Hortons like honestly when I hit it's so rare that I'm in North America I've been think I've been there twice in my life this mutual friend of the couples this guy called Cheryl Davidson so he had said that he once saw Levi pick Cheryl up by the throat and lift her into the air saying if you keep fucking around with me something's going to happen to you now that ladies and gentlemen is what we call a red flag yeah, it's uh, we really took a dramatic turn, you know. <laughs> I know. I I think I'm gonna have to insert an ad or something before. <laughs> I think before I think it, it was just out. I think it was just accidental comic genius comic timing on both our parts. Where it's just like it's like oh yeah, stealing donuts. Anyway, he grabbed her by the throat, and you know, I know it's, it's, what it's, a segue. Thank yeah. you. I'm a pro. Yeah. So prior to her disappearance, Cheryl had also spoken to her family, warning them that if something had happened to her, they knew who to question. Lavoy was very jealous and very possessive of anyone talking to Cheryl, and as I said, she was often show up where she worked. And witnesses from the day before Cheryl disappeared recalled seeing Lavoy sitting very, very close to Cheryl, seemingly trying to show everyone in the room she was his. She was said to have complained about needing space away from him. So like as in that he was physically like 
essentially like just crowding her completely. So Lavoy and his former partner, a woman called Gwen, dated from their early teens until their mid-twenties. The pair, as I said, had two children. So Gwen had said that Lavoy was guilty of domestic abuse in that relationship, that he had assaulted her numerous times. And the police were actually called in 1995 as well, which would be three years before this. Now, what happened with this incident, this is very strange, particularly strange, so she called the police on him and while at a gas station so the police arrived and she told them the whole story and while at a gas station Lavoie told the attendants so the police are at the house speaking to Gwen Lavoie is at a gas station a petrol station he told the guy working there that he had murdered his partner and kids he then turned himself into police who contacted a very alive Gwen and confirmed that Lavoie hadn't murdered anyone. And so he was charged with public mischief, but then the charges were later withdrawn. But just a very weird thing to do to say, hey, I've actually killed my whole family. And it turns out she didn't actually do that. Very strange. Unless he was like trying to set up the defense of if he ever got accused of this in the future. And and like they're going to say, it's like, oh, wait, he said he did this once before. And the boy who cries wolf. Yeah. I mean, it's just it's just a bizarre thing to do, I think, anyway, though, isn't it? Yeah. It's 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 odd. And I mean, going to the police station, they're, obviously the first call they're going to make is to the woman you've supposedly murdered. And then she says, hello. And you're like, case closed. Like, you've murdered no one. I'm kind of surprised they did actually ring her because no, like... It's. I would have thought if you go into a police station and say, right, you've murdered somebody, right, they'll arrest you and they'll start, start saying, where's the body and stuff like that. Like, I've never heard of the police in any other situation going, okay, someone's murdered somebody. Let's just ring the person. Let's ring the victim. Yeah. Has, has anyone got their mobile, you know, just, 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 to, just to make sure. Well, obviously it is weird, but maybe, I don't know, maybe they just didn't believe this guy and they were like, he's pulling our leg. And that's, I mean, it, I know what you mean. It doesn't seem that like step one, is ring the vi- yeah ring the victim, but in this instance they did get a hello, so their hunch was correct. So Lavoy obviously look, it's safe to say, bit of a weirdo, like not you know, bit of an oddball. The world according to Wikipedia is a podcast that pops the hood of Wikipedia and invites you to take a look inside. Each episode, we will talk to someone from the Wikimedia community on topics like why are only eighteen percent of biographies about women? Can editing Wikipedia be a protest or activism? And what is it like for the communities working on the 200-plus Wikipedias that are not in English? Subscribe on your podcatcher of choice and follow us on Twitter at world underscore Wikipedia. So Lavoy started dating a woman called Sheila Darbison just after Cheryl disappeared. Before that, Sheila had been in a long-term relationship with Lavoy's stepbrother. So Sheila claimed that the relationship between Lavoy and herself started three months prior to Cheryl going missing so that they had started seeing one another in October and Cheryl would have disappeared three months later. So basically, according to Navoy, on the 2nd of January, he dropped Cheryl off behind a strip club called the Concord Hotel in Niagara Falls, Ontario, because I always forget that the Niagara Falls is also a Canadian thing. I always forget that. So Lavoie was the last person to see Cheryl as the strip club owner confirmed he never saw or hired her. So in other words, 
this guy said, okay, I dropped my now fiance because I proposed to her yesterday. I dropped her off to work at this strip club and the strip club owner is like, no, I mean, I've never seen this girl and she doesn't actually work for me. So this is what we call another red flag. So Odette, who was Cheryl's mother, she said that she knew something was wrong when Cheryl didn't pick her up from the station on the 4th of January 1998. At the time, uh, her mother Odette was unaware that Lavoy had proposed to her daughter, even after speaking to her daughter on the 1st of January. She only found out after she reported Cheryl missing. Lavoy never actually reported Cheryl missing. He also told several conflicting stories to his mother, Cheryl's mother, and his ex-partner, sometimes saying Cheryl was sleeping, other times alleging she was at work. So basically, the first couple of days when people are trying to get in touch with Cheryl, he's kind of fobbing people off saying she's sick, She's asleep, she's in bed, she's not available. Now, he said that he did that because he was kind of freaking out that Cheryl was missing and he didn't want to worry the family and kind of have them on high alert and worry them needlessly. So he was. He has said that the reason that he didn't tell them at that point that she was missing was because he felt that she, you know, would turn up, that there was something untoward to happen, but he didn't want to worry the family unnecessarily yeah because no one's going to make the family chill out more, <laughs> more than thinking that she's been sleeping for four days non-stop <laughs> and they're going it's just like oh cheryl's been at the poison apples again oh i know it's it's i mean it was definitely not the way to go like for sure so he claimed that her friend was going to pick her up so he kept telling people who were calling the house like different stories like sometimes he would say she's working other times she's sleeping, whatever. So he claimed her friend had said she was going to pick her up and then later insisted that her ex-husband, Brian Sweeney, had been the one who was supposed to pick her up. Now, from what we know about Lavoy, he doesn't sound like the kind of man that would be happy with his fiance being picked up from work by her ex-boyfriend, her ex-husband even, because obviously this guy, Lavoy, was the type he was hanging out where she worked an awful lot. He seemed to be very possessive, very controlling. So it was a bit of a turn up for the books that he just says, oh yeah, actually her ex-husband Brian was supposed to pick her up. But it's it's also a weird one that if you're a jealous type of guy, maybe don't go out with somebody who was or ever did kind of work as an exotic dancer. Like if you're... I know, that's very true, yeah. Yeah, it's it's like, I mean, if you're... Tell- I mean, like, you know, go out, like, go out with somebody that you know, isn't going to be around and being leered at by men literally all day, every day. Well, the thing is, is that because she didn't work at a dancer at this point when they, so she had worked as an exotic dancer like previous. So him saying, oh, she, I dropped her off to work at a strip club, kind of, you know, there was like, it makes sense because she's worked as a stripper before. But then when they went in to question this guy at the strip club, they who owned the club, he was like, no, she, I, like she, I've never had her working for me. And the other people in her life, so say friends and stuff said, I don't think she was working as a dancer. I think she would have mentioned it. Like obviously Tim Hortons, let's face it, it doesn't pay as well as exotic dancing. But her friends and co-workers were like, she never mentioned she would have gone back dancing. It's not something that she was ashamed of. And of course, like she shouldn't be ashamed Sh- of it. Sh- Judy, I have a business idea. We might have to move to America to do it. <laughs> but if we do, if we have a strip donut shop where... Oh my God, Simon, that's what this country needs. 
Yeah, and, it and if you want to know something as well, it would be legal. Uh, and don't ask. And I'll tell you why I, <laughs> why I know this. There's no such thing as a strip club license in Ireland under Irish law. A strip that club un, under a strip under Irish law, a strip club is any other nightclub. It's just that the employees are a little bit friendlier than usual. Because wasn't that the issue with string fellows when they wanted to open the strip club? Wasn't there something about the licensing there? Yeah, yeah, they'd have to get they'd have to get a nightclub license. Uh, but but then you see the other reason why I noticed was there's a case with it was Lapello on Dame Street where it it got mentioned in court and there was a little scandal at the time that the guards visit like the cops visited Lapello on Dame Street. But see if to have the nightclub license they have to have a dance floor legally of a certain size oh, no, to a nightclub. and the guards have to visit the nightclub and make sure the dance floor is big enough but then like it transpired that the guards had visited Lapello 14 times to make sure that the dance, dance, dance floor was big enough yeah yeah, it, it's like, look, it doesn't even have to be open open in the in, in the evening because it's like during the day you don't want, you know, you, you don't necessarily want to drink. Like you might just want a coffee. Let's make it dog friendly as well. So because that, that'll get. Oh, my God. And fair trade. I insist the coffee <laughs> and our donut <laughs> dog friendly strip club pro bush emporium. <laughs> we have to have the fair trade coffee. Oh, gosh. And the dogs. No, definitely. I think it should be. I think it should be dog friendly as well. So Cheryl had gone missing. Essentially, she hadn't been seen since. Uh, she hadn't actually been seen since New Year's Day. So she'd called her mother. She'd spoken to people, but she hasn't actually been seen for a couple of days. When Cheryl's mother went to the police to find a missing persons report, Lavoy, because this is what you do, he removed most of his clothing and hockey equipment from the apartment. So she comes back and he's basically moved out all of his stuff, which she finds strange if her daughter has just kind of gone MIA for a couple of days. Like, why is her is her fiancé moving everything out of the house? So Shepherd's fr- so Cheryl's friends questioned why anyone would believe Lavoie, who didn't even let Cheryl work at Tim Hortons alone, let alone, as I say, drop her off in a strip club and then say, oh, I thought her ex-husband was going to pick her up. Like, it's just not adding up. So a maintenance man for the apartment called Art, he remembered seeing Lavoy struggle with two large garbage bags the weekend of Cheryl's disappearance. Now, he claimed, of course, that this was just him like cleaning up the apartment after like New Year's Eve and the holidays and they had a lot to clear out. So I suppose in his defence, he would have a lot to clear out after Christmas. But people did just find this strange that Cheryl was nowhere to be seen and he was seen apparently, according to this guy, struggling with a couple of garbage bags. And then this guy, Gerald Davidson, who was the friend of the couple who had seen Lavoy grab Cheryl by the throat before, he was a neighbour as well. And he remembered seeing Lavoy in a parking garage with some suspicious garbage bags. So for 10 days, police combed the apartment. They went through everything in the apartment and Cheryl, her mother, and Lavoy shared this apartment. So they were looking for suspicious staining on the hallway walls. So they did find some staining on the wall, but it looked like blood. Cheryl's person ID were later located in the apartment. So again, this kind of adds more mystery. Like why would she go anywhere minus her purse and her ID? Did they ever find out whose blood it was? No, it was just like 
he claimed, this guy claimed that he had just gotten into a fight in the apartment and that this blood belonged to the other person, but it wasn't Cheryl's blood. It's a strange thing to happen upon in an apartment, to be fair. It seems like they didn't follow this up and they just kind of went, it's just like, oh, it's not her blood. And then they just left it at that and just kind of went, it's like, no, we've no no further questions here. Well, he said, this guy said that he had just gotten into a fight with this guy um, I actually, because I, I did a good bit of research on this, I didn't actually happen upon the name of the guy. Maybe he did give the identity of the guy, but either way, it wasn't Cheryl's blood. So it was human blood. He claimed it was from a fight. And then when it was tested, it did materialize that it wasn't Cheryl's blood. But obviously, it's something they focused on. They did comment that the apartment itself, it looked like there had been some sort of what's the word like kind of ruckus that there'd been some kind of sort of brawl or fighting things were kind of all over the place Cheryl's glasses and contacts which she really needed because she was had really poor eyesight they were also found so Cheryl's mother was really concerned because she was like look she'd never go anywhere without her glasses or her purse or her ID this is really strange and as I said they did notice a few strange changes to the apartment as well. So police noticed that the curtains in the living room were not held up by a rod, but rather nailed to the wall. And Cheryl's mother noted that the curtains were not that way when she left for the weekend. So she found that strange because she was like, what's happened the rod? Like, where is the rod where the curtains were? It's just, it's a strange thing to kind of go amiss over a weekend, isn't it? Yeah, that's a real case of this, like, your parents went away for the weekend, you had a house party, you trashed the gaff, and just went to say, oh, they're going to notice the curtains being they're on the floor. They're not going to notice, yeah. We'll, if na- I use we'll, blue- we'll nail the curtains, and once it yeah. doesn't get bright or become daytime, we're fine. Nobody will be none the wiser. It is, do you know what? It is a real teenager thing to do, isn't it? It's just, it's such an obvious thing that you're going to notice straight away. So there was no explanation given as to why the curtain rod was missing. And police, obviously, they confronted Lavoy at mother's at, the, at his mother's residence. So he'd gone back to his mother's house and they said, look, we need to talk to you because this girl has been missing now for three days. There's no sign of her. Um, we just need to find out like what happened to this girl. So he promised that he would follow up at the station. So he says, now it all seems very polite. So the police are like, look, we really need to speak to you. And he's like, no problem. I'm going to follow you down to the station. So they go back to the station. And after Lavoy was a no-show, the police attempted to track him down. So they go on a hunt for him. And they found him inside like this kind of storage facility with the engine of his vehicle running, a possible suicide attempt via carbon monoxide poisoning. Lavoy had sent his mother a suicide note in the mail before the incident at this storage facility. So he'd stopped up and sent his mother a suicide note. Now, the suicide note, uh, so the suicide note has never been disclosed. So the family, Lavoy's family said that it was like a private note it's never been disclosed. It's never been given to police. But he did send that note. So basically, the police find him. He's not dead. So he has tried to commit suicide, but he's not dead. And so he ends up like surviving. So Paula Branton, who was Cheryl's long-term friend and uh, uh, co-worker, Tim Hortons, she got involved at this point. So the police were kind of still sticking with the story that 
Lavoy had given them, which was that she had been dropped off at a strip club and he had never seen her since. So that he had no information as to where she was. He showed them the alleyway where he claimed that he had he had let Cheryl off. There was no CCTV that could corroborate this. So ultimately they had to rely on his version of events. Nobody had any knowledge of where she had gone. This strip guy in the strip club was like, she never came in here. But Paula Branton was this long-term friend and she's very much been an advocate for Cheryl. And she said, look, I mean, she had stopped working as an exotic dancer and if she'd started, Cheryl would have told her. Friends and relatives also told police that Lavoie and Cheryl frequently fought and they were all surprised to hear that the couple was engaged. Another friend who spoke to Cheryl shortly after Lavoie proposed claimed that Cheryl had told her, this is on the 1st of January, she told her on the phone that she'd intended to cancel the engagement but was afraid to do it in private because she feared Lavoie's reaction could be violent. Lavoy also refused to Sorry, I just realized she should have cancelled it publicly. If you're going to propose I know if you're going to propose in public, it is I that oh wouldn't that just make your day or would that that would be something that would get women watching more sport if at halftime during big matches, occasionally a woman would bring her fiance out and, and tell him that the wedding was off. Oh my God. I absolutely, that's no, that's the kind of public behavior that I would approve of, honestly. Like, we don't want to be involved in the proposal, but we definitely want to be involved in the breakup, like for sure. I think it could, it could be a good business idea is if you just like break up with people for them. Like people would pay oh people, especially, be so handy. especially guys. Cause like, it was fine when you like, you know, it's like, we all did this when we were teenagers as your friend would go up to somebody or a girl's friend. That's would go up so and, true. And, and, and we turned out all right. So, <laughs> like, I think that, I think that cause guys would pay cause everyone, I would honestly say about 40% of relationship time is taken up of the, of people just building up the courage to break up with somebody. So if we do this as a, and people would pay for it, it's just like, obviously it has to be an app, just, just obviously. But I, oh I, yeah, of I, course. I'd say people would sign up for that. Oh my God, it would be so handy, wouldn't it? It's so awkward breaking up with people. I've only, generally I've been on the receiving end, but the odd time that I've had to do it, it's just so, I, I think again, that would definitely work 100%. The only thing is we'd have to get somebody under 35 to show us what an, what an app was first to actually sit down and explain what is an app before we pursue it. But once we have that basic information. So another weird thing was that Lavoie refused to participate in any media pleas for Cheryl's safe return or any searches conducted for her, which people found a bit weird. So police kept an eye on Lavoie because obviously he was the partner of this woman who had gone missing. And it usually is, unfortunately, it usually is a partner when women go missing. And despite being the only suspect at the time, Lavoie was questioned by police for less than 30 minutes. So even though it's highly suspicious that the police have come to talk to him and he attempts to commit he attempts to commit suicide, he sends his family a suicide note, the details of which have never been revealed. So all of that will kind of point to kind of strange behavior. So if you think, ultimately, if you think your girlfriend or fiance in this instance is coming back, why would you try to kill yourself? It is kind of incriminating. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm still, yeah, I get the whole thing of like the questioning somebody for 30 minutes because that's, you know, it's like you'd question somebody for 30 minutes about the curtains being nailed to the wall alone. 
I know, I know. It's just, it's just not long enough. It's very strange because, like, ultimately there are no other suspects here. I mean, essentially Cheryl like disappeared into thin air. So she was last heard from from her friends and family on the first of January. The second of January, he claims, Lavoy claims that she was dropped off um, in this area. She was never seen again. He actually had his daughters that weekend as well. So his ex-wife, well, his ex-partner, I should say, she claimed, you know, he came to pick up his girls as normal. He seemed totally fine. The girls were with him for the couple of days. Um, Like they were young girls. So they were, you know, they were small kids, like five or six. And they hung out with him. Obviously, Cheryl was nowhere to be seen. But ultimately, like he is the primary suspect here. So you would question why they only spoke to him for half an hour is weird. And Cheryl's ex-husband, in contrast, he, um, Brian Sweeney, he came forward straight away requesting a polygraph test so the police could be sure he was not involved. So he cooperated fully, whereas the other guy, the current fiancé, just essentially distanced himself from the whole thing straight away. Despite being the main and only suspect in Cheryl's case, Lavoie has never been charged with murder. Police are still offering a $50,000 reward for information leading to a conviction in the case. An unproven rumour was that Cheryl will never be found because Lavoie put her body through a wood chipper and that rumour persists to this day. So that is the most common theory that you hear in relation to this, that he put her body through a wood chipper and ultimately because of that, they will never find her body. So essentially that there is no body to find. And that is the story of the disappearance of Cheryl Shepherd. So hopefully her family will get closure one day. Um, obviously, as time goes on, it becomes a little bit more difficult to have, I suppose, you know, independent sources come forward with new evidence. But there's always the possibility that somebody might get a change of conscience or a change of heart and come forward and offer them some closure at least. But it's a very strange one. There's not, you know, you know, the, in terms of police work, there's not, there's not a lot of information on it because there doesn't seem to have been a huge investigation done, which is odd. It really seems like they questioned him at like half four on a Friday and they just kind of went, ah, look, lads. We've got to hit the strip, strip. We've got to hit the stripper donut shop. Yeah, exactly. It's like, time. Like I need, a, I need a sugar and, you know, pubic hair rush, you know. <laughs> and then the police are like, but we've got our police dogs. And they're like, it's fine. It's dog friendly. Yeah, <laughs> it's just like, you know, like, yeah, it's just like we've got blind people, we've got hipsters, we've got all, all kinds of dogs in here. It's so funny. But yes, yeah, so that is the story of the disappearance of Cheryl Shepherd. I mean, hopefully they do find justice one day. Um, it is a strange one. There was only the primary, one primary suspect. I mean, you know, you would say a lot of it wouldn't look good for him. But at the same time, he's never actually been charged with any crime. So it is important to reference, just mention that as well. Simon, it's been an absolute pleasure. Yeah, this yeah, this is. I'm glad we, I'm glad we got to stay on topic. That's the main thing. <laughs> yeah, Simon, thank you so much. If we're looking for you, where can we find you? Like, not physically speaking, but online. Uh, yeah, 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 you're not, yeah, physically, if you want to find me, I will be in fights and discount German supermarkets. <laughs> if if you want to find me online, I'm the Simon O'Keefe on Twitter and Instagram, and I think that's what I am on YouTube as well and you need to check Simon out go follow him 
on his various social medias because he's a very funny guy and very lovely. Okay, right. I'm hanging up now. Bye, Simon. <laughs> Bye, Judy. This podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Tired of ads interrupting your gripping investigations? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Ads shouldn't be the scariest thing about true crime. Start listening by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash true crime ad free. That's amazon.com slash true crime ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.